Acts chapter 3, verse 19. I want to read this out loud and loudly together from the screens. Let's read this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is what we're after, and this is what we're after at Rock Conference especially. It's going to be this time of refreshing, but we're after it even before then and after then. And as I, as I started to talk about this a couple of weeks ago, I said, before we even get to that part of the refreshing, we need, to, we need to first establish who our source is. Where do we go for our source? And so we began that uh, line of thinking and, and discussion two weeks ago. But today I want to move a little bit closer to the times of refreshing because before you can experience the times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, there's something that the scripture tells us to do. And it's the very first word. What is it? It's repent, right? It's repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God. Now it's important that he says that because oftentimes we think repentance means I'm going in this direction. I change my direction around. And that's not exactly what the word means and in, in, in how it's used in the Greek. Really, the word repent in the Greek, it means to radically change one's thinking, to radically change one's thinking. And so that's where there's this coupling of radically change your thinking and turn to God. So it's not just one, it's not just the other, it's both. Radically change your thinking, your way of thinking, and turn to God so that you can experience this refreshing. This thinking is, is something that needs to be changed on the inside of us because so many of us have stinking thinking, and that stinking thinking leads to stinking living, and we don't experience the refreshing. You ever go into a room that's musty? You go into a room where it smells like a bunch of junior high boys have been in there after they ate beans all night long? It's like stinks, right? Some people's lives are like that. They've got that stinking thinking, and it causes their lives to, to be foul, right? And sometimes in our lives, it creeps up. You're like, what's that smell in my life? And what God is saying to us, I want to create a complete change there in your life and refresh you. Because you know, when you, it's like you, you put something, you know, sweaty athletic gear into the wash, and then you pull it out, and, and you... Ah, oh, it's fresh. Like, I want to put this on, and, and I'm happy to be around people wearing these nice, clean clothes, and I feel refreshed and all that, and, and people are happy to have you around. That's what we're thinking about in the spiritual sense. Repent to radically change one's thinking. The need to repent stems way back, all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve. And I want to read to you some portions from that story. You would probably be familiar with it, but if not, read it in its entirety, chapters 1 through 3. But I'm just going to hit uh, a couple of verses from there. Verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 25, right after God created Adam and Eve, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. They were naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, the Bible points out that they were naked before the eating of the fruit and, and the whole sin aspect. They were naked, but they were not ashamed. They were as God created them to be, and there was no shame in it. This is not going to be a message about going back to nature, if anyone's wondering, like, where is he going? No, this we get winter here. We don't do this thing, right? 
I don't know what they do in like warmer regions, but not up here. Anyways, so let's move on to chapter three. This is after the, the, the serpent came to tempt Eve, and it, said, and it says this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. God goes on to say, well, who told you you were naked? And, then, and, and uh, Adam then begins in verse 12, he says, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. What had just happened right there? Adam and Eve did something that, that they realized we should not have done. And now accountability is walking my way. God, who I want to please, who I know is going to be displeased with this, is coming my way. So in order for me to not be exposed and for him to find out, I'm going to hide. I'm going to hide from the presence of the Lord. I'm afraid. I'm ashamed. I'm afraid he's going to find out. And so I'm going to hide myself, control my environment to protect myself from further embarrassment from him. And then when he does get caught, instead of taking responsibility and owning it, he shifts the blame on somebody else. And Eve does the same thing. And then it goes, she shifts the blame on the serpent, and the serpent has no leg to stand on. So he's like, oh. <laughs> and so what's happening right here? This is a way of thinking that enters in from the very beginning, the result of sin and God is saying, this way of thinking has continued down, and, and it needs to change, and it needs to radically change in our lives. This week, I, I uh, did spend some time going, taking part in Kairos ministry, a freedom ministry of Gateway Church, and uh, some of our team members went through it with us, and they talked about something called the, the anatomy of a stronghold, the anatomy of a stronghold. You see, in this situation, a stronghold was created with Adam and Eve. This is what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a way of thinking that's designed to keep someone out keep, and uh, someone safe. You know, it, it's this, you think about a fortress, and if someone goes into the fortress, that they're in there, and that fortress is designed to keep them safe inside and to keep somebody outside. But how this works when it becomes a stronghold of the mind, it becomes a way of thinking that's designed to keep someone inside safe to preserve, which is oftentimes us or sometimes the enemy or his lies, and it's designed to keep someone else out, which is oftentimes Jesus and the truth and, and help. And that stronghold is this way of thinking that, that though... You know, if you're in battle and you go to the stronghold, it's a place of safety. But 
if you're stuck in a stronghold, it's a place of bondage. This is a stronghold, and this way of thinking becomes a stronghold. And they talked about the anatomy of a stronghold. This is how uh, a stronghold works in our lives. There's, there's an event that takes place, then there is a lie that is believed, and then there is a vow that is made, and then there's a response. So, so this event, the, 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 the cycle typically starts with some sort of event that drives us to question the truth. For many, it's a childhood event such as a traumatic, that was traumatic or painful. Maybe it's something that someone did to you. Maybe it's something that someone said to you. Maybe it's something that you experienced. It's just an event. It's all it is. It's just the event. It happens. Sometimes it's abuse. Sometimes it's, it's embarrassment. Sometimes, you, you know, it like, like maybe you, you got so nervous as a, you know, eight-year-old and you wet your pants in front of the class and there's this event and then the kids started turning and they're laughing at you, right? Or maybe it's the way that you, you came into the room and your parents were, were arguing or fighting and then, and then you said the wrong thing and they just happened to, in the heat of the moment, turn to you and blow up on you. It could be anything that would, we would look at as, as major or sometimes you look back at it, at it as an adult, especially in someone else's life, and you say, that's not that big of a deal. But it was an event that, that uh, you felt, you, 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 you were traumatized, you were affected by it, it was painful. And then after the event happens, the enemy knows that we're vulnerable, and he jumps on the chance to lie to our mind. So with Adam and Eve, they ate this fruit, right? And then all of a sudden, the one who said, you'll be like God, is now pointing at him saying, you're naked, you're rejected, you are going to... You are gonna, uh, be in big trouble when God comes. These lies come on. He'll never accept you. He'll never receive you. He speaks to us in that first person as if it's our own voice. God's not with me. If he was, this wouldn't have happened to me. Then that stronghold takes root when we agree with that lie. So something happens and then there's the lie that comes in, and we agree with that lie. And then that moves on to the next part of the stronghold, that it's this defense or this vow, these vows that we take. When we agree with the lie in our hearts, we start building that defense against more of those defense, uh, against more of those events. I'll never let that happen to me again. It could be a physical defense. I'm going to avoid that person or that place. If someone has ever shamed you or embarrassed you or hurt you, one of the common reactions is, I'm not going to be around them. I won't let them do that to me again. Some people were shamed or hurt as a kid, and then they grow up saying, I'll never let anybody treat me like that again. I remember seeing my par parents go through their process of divorce, and I remember my dad crying and weeping. And, and on the inside of me, that affected me. And I remember thinking things like, I'll never cry over a woman I'll never let someone make me cry like that. 11 years old, I'm not going to let somebody break my heart because I see what that's doing. What's happening? There's a traumatic event. A lie is coming in and saying, people will leave you. My defense mechanism is saying, I'll never let them see that that hurts me. And so I make this vow on the inside. And so when my parents divorce, I go on emotional shutdown, flatlined never crying. When I, when I see tears, I see it as a sign of weakness. That was, that, was my, that was my defense mechanism at the time. 
So then it goes on to the response. Once the lie is at work through this defense, then we experience two kinds of responses. We now respond to the world differently, and others respond differently to us. And because our responses are now based on a lie, this often triggers more events, and the cycle continues, and that stronghold grows in our life. And it's just a way of thinking. It's a way of seeing things. And we will start to perceive our experience and our reality based on those strongholds that have been developed because of the events, the lies, the, the vows, and, and, and then the, those, those responses again. And it just becomes a vicious cycle. One of the strongholds that I think is so common is what's called the, the shame-fear-control stronghold. Shame, fear, control. I want to talk to you a little bit about this, and I think, and I can sense in the room that, that probably you will see some of this show up in your own life and lives around you, and you get a better understanding. It's a, it's a, it's a cycle, it's, it's a pattern that goes around and around. What's the, what is the shame, fear, control um, Stronghold. Do we have that? Do we have a picture for that to go on the screen? If not, you just draw it on your own little notes there. But uh, here, here's here's the basic the basic lie of how how it works: the shame, fear, control. Uh, shame is that sense of being uniquely and hopelessly flawed, the feeling different and less valuable than others. It's self focused. I'm a mistake. I'm flawed. I'm bad. I'm ashamed. I'm defective. Adam said, "I was naked." Something was wrong with me. Now, here's the reality. The Bible already said he was naked, yet he was not, uh, there was nothing wrong with him. And, and he was how God created him to be and who God created him to be. But his cover was from the Lord. The glory of God, the grace of God, what God said, that was his covering. That was his identity at that point. But somewhere along the lines, he messed up. And he really did mess up. And then all of a sudden, at that point, he came in and said, something's wrong with me. And he became ashamed of what was wrong with him. He did something. I don't know about you, if you've ever done something wrong and you were ashamed of it. I've done a lot of things wrong that I was ashamed of. And as I look back and growing up, I realized, man, that was a pattern in my, my, my life, this shame of, of the environments I grew up in. I grew up in a somewhat of a prosperous area, but we weren't it. We were the ones in that, you know, that one neighborhood where it's in the midst of it, but uh, you're not it. And so where I looked around and my, my friends, their, their families were do, seemed to be doing well to me. You know, they had nice cars, nice homes, nice clothes, all these things, and their parents were together. I was the one that, I was embarrassed of the car my parents drove. I was embarrassed of the uh, financial situation that we were in. I was embarrassed when my parents were splitting up and I would go over to my friends' houses and their parents weren't. And, and so what was happening in there, there was this shame. There's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with my family. Now, this is not my counseling session, by the way, and you're not my group like, hi, I'm Daniel and I've got strongholds. <laughs> but what I do want to do is help you understand this is, this is a, a person, this is a pastor, this is someone who loves Jesus, who God's at work with, and, I, I, and I'm a real person. I've walked through these things, and we all do, and we're all desperately in need of Jesus. We all, we all are, and so I hope by just sharing some of my experiences and, and the process I walk through that it helps you too, because I've only walked through 
my life. <laughs> I've walked through life with others, but I, could, I really know what's happened in my life. Uh, shame is different than guilt, too, by the way. Guilt is knowing that we have done something wrong. It tells us that we made a mistake. Uh, we say, hey, I did something wrong. It's different. Shame is something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. And people feel this way. And they don't feel it about everything in life. There are some people who are totally bound by shame, but not everybody. Some of us, we're just ashamed of a couple little things. There's just a couple little things that I really don't want someone to know about me. I really don't want to open up uh, about me in in this area. Um, I don't want to go there with God. I don't want to allow him to deal with this issue or this area in my life. And when that shame is strong in our life, whether it's in a a section or controls our life, it leads to fear and control. So this becomes a big cycle. I'm I'm ashamed of who I am or what I've done. I'm a bad person. And then fear kicks in. Fear starts to say, what if they find out? They're not going to like me. They're going to reject me. This is what what Adam said, I was naked and I'm afraid. I'm afraid of you because if you find out what I look like and what I've done, you're going to reject me. You're not going to love me. You're not going to like me. This happens with God and our relationship with him. It happens in our relationship with people. If they find out that that I do these things, they're not going to want to be friends with me anymore. If they find out this is what I'm like, uh, I'm going to be overlooked for the promotion, for the opportunities. If they find out what, what I'm really like or what I struggle with or what I'm dealing with or what I did, then, then they're not going to want me around anymore. And, and sometimes these thoughts are running through the back of our mind. This is stinking thinking. And when, when that is what is driving our thinking, it leads to control. Because I'm afraid of what they think, I'm going to do like Adam and Eve did. I'm going to hide myself. I'm going to, hide my, I'm going to control the situation. I'll control everything so that they won't find out what I'm really like, so that, so that I won't suffer and experience more pain from this. And that's what Adam and Eve were doing, and that's what we do. That's why when we do something wrong, we try to cover it up. We try to hide it. Because we know if they find out, they're going to overreact. And they're going to blow up over this situation. And when they do, then all of a sudden, I'm going to experience more pain and trauma. And I'm going to be more ashamed. And therefore, I'm going to have to pull back even more. And you can see this cycle here. And this is why God is telling us, you've got to change the way you think and turn back to him so that you can experience a cleansing and a refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Because God wants to get in and uproot some of that stuff in our life that holds us back. Some of those things that keep us in bondage. Some of those things that have been limiting factors. And God is not looking to you to stop doing it for long enough so then he can use you. But what God is looking for you to do is to change your way of thinking, to to reject those lies, to accept his truth so he can get in and restore you. So he can get in and help you. So he can get in and build you up. Shame-based fear is the fear of being found out. It's this fear of punishment, of rejection. It's a fear of authority because they have the power 
to expose and to punish. It's the fear of intimacy because intimacy requires exposure. Why is it that so many people have a lot of friends on Facebook, but very few friends face-to-face? Why is that? Why is it that we live these virtual lives and we can experience, you know, Facebook, someone said it like this, it's like friend porn. It's friend porn. Because with the concept of pornography, you can have this intimacy or this, this, the sexual intimacy without the real emotional intimacy, without the real connection. And, and social media can be like that. We can think we're having friends, but we don't really have that, that real, true, intimate connection. Shame can lead us. I'm not saying everyone who has a Facebook page is, is living in shame, by the way. <laughs> but it... It, shame does lead to a fear of intimacy, and some people can have friends online, but they can't have them face-to-face. You know more about people that you never see than people that are sitting right next to you in this room. Jesus wants to help us with that. That fear leads to the control. I'll control everything. They won't find out what I'm really like. I'll never suffer pain. Adam and Eve, they hid, they blamed others. This is a major issue. Anytime you're dealing with people, I know as, as pastor, when I'm um, counseling people and walking through areas of life with them, uh, they don't recognize this control. Control, I've got to control everything. They don't, they don't see it, um, but oftentimes it, it's, it, it's because it's a blind spot. A blind spot, by definition, you, you don't see, right? It's my blind spot. I, I don't see it. It's not a problem with me. It's a problem with others. It's a problem. We, sh- we push blame on others. Well, they did this to me. If they, if they know, if this, you know, it's always about them. Control always tries to, s- to preserve itself and its own safety. It's keeping me in. Or the lie is saying, keep me in. The enemy's sitting there saying, keep me in. Keep the light out, right? Shame, fear, and control, it masks our true identity. We start to wear these, these masks and, and and your true identity is who God's created you to be. You're in, innocent. You're virtuous. You're pure before the Lord. You're righteous before God. You're living life to your fullest potential and your gifts and your callings. You're, you're walking in confidence. You're walking in faith. You're walking in freedom. This is who God's called you to be. But when you have these strongholds, these way of thinking, it becomes like a mask over that. And you're not able to be the person you, God's called you to be because it's a stronghold and you're stuck behind its walls. Shame, fear, and control blocks our true identity and creates a false identity that is shaped by its mechanisms. Not only are you not able to be the person God's called you to be, others don't see you the way God's created you. They only see the mask that you're wearing. They only see that outward. Some people say have a problem with this. They say, I'm always misunderstood. I'm always misunderstood. They just misunderstood me. And when you're responding to life like that, maybe it's because there's an incongruency, an inconsistency between your true identity and, and, and what's going on with this stronghold. Maybe you're projecting something that really, really might not be you, but it's coming from you. So that's just what they see. Fear, or shame, fear, and control. Now, the good news is you can progress, <laughs> Gradu- you know, and it's gradual, by the way. It's not like everything overnight. 
gradually as you get in the presence of the Lord and he begins to show you these things, some of the stuff that's gone on in your life that, that the seed was planted and, and, and it took root at a certain point, that he'll begin to uproot that. He'll begin to expose that. He'll br- begin to shed light on that to bring freedom to you. How do you find out or to what degree this sh- uh, shame, fear, control is operating in your life? Ask yourself, why did I respond to that situation or that person? Why did I respond that way to so-and-so? Was it shame? Was it fear? Was it control? Was it faith? Was it freedom? Was it love? You know, why did I respond? Why did I react that way? Why do I feel this way about that situation? Why do I get angry when X happens? Why do I draw back from that person or those environments, those situations, those discussions when they come up? Why is that? Start to examine these things in your life and you look down and thinking, why am I operating the way I'm operating? Ask yourselves those questions, but really don't just ask yourself. What you do is you take a moment, set aside some time with Jesus and you set your mind on him, and you say, Lord, why did I respond the way I did? You don't even have to do this with the person first, (laughs) like the person you just responded to, (laughs) like your spouse. You know, that's kind of a vulnerable place, or the person you just blew up on, or friend, or whatever. You you don't even start there. You just back up with Jesus. God, why why do I act like that? Why do I feel like people are going to leave me? Why do I feel like when when my group of friends are starting to get together and make plans that I'm going to be left out? Why do I feel like when, you know, things are going to go well for others and I hear, you know, breakthrough in other people that it's not going to happen to me? I'm not even expecting, looking for a specific area. I just feel like something's happening in them and it's not going to happen in me. Why is that? What's wrong on the inside? That's, those are strongholds. Why is it that I've got issues in my life and yet I'm living with them for years knowing that this is not God's plan for me, but I'm afraid to talk about them. I'm afraid to see somebody about them. I'm afraid to open up. And some of us would say, because last time I opened up, That person blew up on me. That person turned it against me. When my friends found out, then they teased me. When when my my spouse found out, they used it against me later on. So I'm not going to open myself up like that again. Here's two important truths. We are hurt in community. And we are healed in community. I can guarantee you that in life, the hurt that you experience will come from people. But I also can guarantee you in life that the healing you experience will come among people. You, you have to be vulnerable with the, the people God's put around you in order to experience the healing. But the chances are they may hurt you again. But you can't allow the fear of being hurt to keep you from being healed. You can't allow the fear of of, um, that pain to keep you from being free. 
So what do we do when we, there's something that's happened in our life and, and there's that shame and then it goes to fear and control and then leads to more shame if, some, if something happens? We need to break those things. We need to, we need to tear those masks off. Oh, there's a lot I'd like to talk about, but my, about the, the masks we wear, the angry person, the person who refuses to take responsibility. That person is controlling that, that person who lives under condemnation and guilt and depression, they live under that shame, you know, in, in, in that part of the cycle there. Always one problem after another. There's the person who lives this mask of passivity. They just don't deal with it or anything for that matter. They just give in. They give up. They avoid confrontation at all costs out of fear of being found out. They avoid uh, upsetting anyone ever. They're always the nice guy, the nice girl, but they also have no healthy boundaries. This person is the peacekeeper, and God hasn't called us to be peacekeepers. He's called us to be peacemakers. And sometimes our apathy and our, in, uh, our inability to deal with things will cause us to be so passive because we're afraid of that conflict. That's a way of controlling. It's a way of living in fear. There's the person who lives the op. The apologetic lifestyle, they're always apologizing for everything. Someone bumps into you and you say, I'm sorry. When in reality, they bumped into you, they should say they're sorry, right? But you just have this, I'm afraid, I'm always apologizing. They're always unable to receive. Anytime someone does something for them, they feel like they have to pay them back or make up for it. You ever take someone out to lunch and you offer to buy their lunch? No, no, I got it. And it's not just because... They, they, uh, they want to buy lunch and not be a financial burden. They just can't receive. I've taken people out to lunch before, and, and, and I, I purchase their lunch, and then they come up behind, and then they buy their drink. Well, I didn't want you to have to do all that. <laughs> what? I, you know, what why, why are you doing that? Why, what, what's wrong with you? There's an inability to receive. Now, I'm, I'm open to people buying me food all the time. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? And, and, uh, but I'm able to receive food. Um, I'm not saying that because I want your food. But I also understand about, like, I, I want to buy and bless as well. And so sometimes you can argue over the check. That's great. That's not what I'm talking about. There's people that are constantly concerned that, or afraid that, that they're being bothersome or a burden to others. And, 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 and it goes beyond because maybe they were treated as a burden. You know what? If I didn't have so many mouths to feed, we would be able to do this. As a kid, we hear those things, and now you're a mouth to feed. And I don't want to be a burden on anyone. Can I tell you a little bit about uh, one, of, one of my concerns the, with, with being a sh- the, the shame I felt of not having enough? that I felt like I had to be my source of security and provision. And so at sixth grade, I was working, and I had a paper route, and I'm earning money, and I earned money ever since, and I, and I vowed I'm never going to be poor. I'm never going to be like that. I'm always going to have enough. The problem is when you make those vows, you never do, because how much is enough? One more dollar. doesn't matter what you have. Ask anybody how much they, they need to be set when they're struggling with that. And it's always going to be more. There's people who are, are striving and driving. They, they, they're bound within that control. They're perfectionists. They're, they're the opposite of the passive people. They have the hyper control. They have to control everything. 
And um, if I'm not good enough, my shame will be exposed. If I don't do everything right, then you're going to point out something wrong with me, and then I'm going to be crushed. They're compelled to always look good, always working, always working, always working. How are you doing? I'm busy. Why are you busy? Because we're getting stuff done. They're achievers, right? There's the religious person. That's another form of control. They cover their, their shame with a sense of spirituality. Everything's spiritual. They convince everyone. You convince yourself that you're spiritual. They never admit to issues of the heart honestly or with humility. These are just masks that we wear that are, that are symptoms of this stronghold, this shame, fear, control stronghold, this cycle that keeps going around and around. Something's wrong with me, and they're going to find out, so I have to control the situation. I can't be vulnerable and let them know that I'm struggling with some stuff, and, because if I do, they'll reject me. And so you can see this cycle. And these are things that keep us from that refreshing presence of the Lord that God wants for us. And so what do we do with that? What do we do in response to this message today? We take a moment, we close our eyes, and we invite Jesus to come and minister to us. Don't seek the freedom, seek Jesus. You seek Jesus, you'll get the freedom. You seek the freedom, you'll, you'll find yourself in the, the shame, fear, control cycle. Because guess what? I haven't got all the freedom yet, and they're going to find out. And I raised my hand, or I said, I'm a believer. I said, I'm going after Jesus wholeheartedly. And, and, and because, because I don't have it, the, then if they find out, then they're going to think I'm a fraud or a hypocrite. Am I talking to anybody in here today? These are... Is this for next service? You guys are like, come on, I'm just helping the pastor prepare his message for the next guys who really need this stuff, but not us. No, no, no. You seek Jesus, and guess what? He'll walk you through that process, and he's gracious, and he's kind, and he's loving, and he's strong, and he's able. He's able. And so when, when he brings these things up, you just ask the Lord, God, would you show me some stuff on the inside here that, that's, that's hindering me? And if you're sitting here saying, I can't think of anything that's hindering me, well, maybe it's pride, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe it's pride, right? And so, Lord, why is that? Why am I not able to admit that, that there's something? Now, I'm not preaching a message of don't live in victory because we should and can and do live in victory. And there are areas of all of our lives where we've got victory. And God has called us to total victory. And victory is ours. And it belongs to us. And victory is a process of gaining victory. You don't have victory. You win. Who won the McGregor-Mayweather fight? Mayweather, right? They both talked a big talk beforehand. How long did it take? Ten rounds. Now, some would have said, well, the victory, we already knew Mayweather was going to win. There was no chance if they're boxing that McGregor's going to win. We know that Mayweather's going to win. It belongs to him. The fight belongs to him. But he still had to go 10 rounds with the guy before he got his $100 million paycheck plus all the other stuff <laughs> for 30 minutes of, of fighting and a whole lifetime leading up to it, of course, that people could overlook. Victory is his. He gained the victory, but really we would say he already had victory going into that. But he had to fight for it, and he had to stay, stay in the ring, and it's the last man standing. And God has called you to be the last man, the last woman standing. That stronghold has to come down. 
So we, we recognize it. We repent of it. Meaning I'm changing my way of thinking. I'm renouncing that way of thinking. I'm receiving God's truth and His grace here. And uh, I'm going to walk in freedom in the presence of the Lord. 